Well, good morning, everybody. It feels like it's been a long time uh, because it has. <laughs> uh, Matt Nelson made the joke that uh, to the worship team this morning, he said, uh, careful, Pastor Ben hasn't preached in like three weeks, so it's built up. And uh, so we're going to have uh, some time. And I was like, well, he's not wrong. <laughs> so uh, seriously, though, good morning. Glad you're here. Whether you are here for the first time or this is your hundredth time or whether you have believed in God and followed Jesus for a long time or you're new in your faith or maybe you're not sure where you're at with God, what you think about God, what you think about the Bible, no matter where you are, we're just glad that you're here, that you're joining, that you're worshiping. And we want you to know that this is a safe place for you to explore, to dig in, to ask the question for yourself, what does it look like to follow Jesus, to follow God? And, uh, and so we're glad that you're here. Well, uh, we are going to continue a series that we started last week. It's a seven-week series called Puzzled by the Bible. Puzzled by the Bible. So a lot of times we treat this book the Bible like a puzzle. We know the pieces, we know some pieces, we can quote some verses, we've heard of some of the stories, but we forget sometimes that it is one big puzzle, one big story. It all weaves together and it's all saying the same thing. Every single word, every single thing in God's word is one big story. It's every single thing in here saying the same thing. We don't always think about that. We take bits and pieces because you can't swallow this thing whole all the time, but it's one big story. Now, uh, Pastor Chris did a phenomenal job last week jumping in. So just so that you guys know, uh, a couple of people in our family got COVID. Yay! Yes, very exciting. And so the rest of us had to quarantine. And the reason you didn't see me this morning is because even though we are good, we haven't had any symptoms, we tested negative, all this stuff, we're just being ultra careful for you guys, okay? So you won't see me this morning except when I get to be right here and talk to you. Isn't that fun? And so we're just being extra careful this morning. But the deal is that Pastor Chris jumped in last minute, literally on Friday morning, I called her and said, okay, so the sermon's written and you get to deliver it. <laughs> it, wasn't, it didn't quite come out that way. I asked her, right? And she was very gracious. She's like, absolutely, I'll jump in. It'll be fine. And I don't know about you, but uh, I watched it online with my family last week in quarantine. She did a phenomenal job, right? Those of you that are here, you know that. And so what I want to do today is we kind of mentioned this. I think Pastor Chris mentioned, she did. She mentioned it last week, and I'm going to mention it again. This series is largely coming from and inspired by another pastor named Kevin Myers who preaches at a church called Twelve Stone. And they actually delivered this series over 10 years ago. We've been kind of holding on to it. We've been praying about it. I've been seeking after when God wants to kind of pull the trigger on this thing. Well, now is the time. And so this has been percolating for a long time, I'll say that. And so this is a seven-week series, Puzzled by the Bible. It was inspired by Kevin Myers from 12 Stone Church. Uh, and what I want to do is Pastor Chris kind of gave the overview of why the Bible is one big story. Well, I want to review it really fast. I will tell you this. This is going to be like a fire hose coming at you for the next, like, seven, eight minutes, okay? I'm going to literally just, it's going to come at you like crazy fast. If you don't quite understand all of it, please go back to last week's message where Pastor Chris unpacks this in a lot of detail so it's very understandable. I'm not going to make it understandable per se. I'm just giving it back to us so that we can review. We're probably going to do this just about every week, in fact, because it's important to know what we're doing in order to understand what we're saying each week, okay? So, Without further ado, let's review. The Bible is one big story. Really important. It is not just a collection of verses that were randomly stuck together. It is one big story from cover to cover. Now, there are two main parts of the Bible, right? There's the Old Testament, which we would also call the Old Covenant or Old Promise or Old Contract between God and people. We're actually going to talk about that a little bit more today the Old Testament. Then there's the second part of the Bible, which is called the New Testament, the new promise, the new covenant, the new contract between God and people. Old Testament, New Testament. Now, 
If you go to the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, there are five events that ascend in order to point to the pivotal point of the whole story, one big story of the Bible, which we'll get to. Okay, let's go through those five ascending events. The first event is very simple, God and righteous people in paradise. So what this is, is God creates the world, puts the first man and the first woman in there, Adam and Eve, and they live in this perfect world. Everything is perfect. Can't get better. First event. Then the second event changes all that. Satan and sin enter. Satan tempts Adam and Eve. Sadly, they give in to temptation. They sin. They go against God. And Satan and sin enter our world and basically mess up a perfect world. I don't know about you, but has anybody noticed the last couple of years, we don't live in a perfect world. We are a long ways from the Garden of Eden, aren't we? (laughs) Well, that happened a long time ago. And we're still dealing with that problem to this day. Satan and sin enter our universe, into 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 our existence, and here we are. The third event is the world is judged and destroyed. This is the Noah and the ark story. God destroys the entire earth with a global flood, and the only people who survive are Noah and his family. Okay, it's a harsh story. We kind of make it like Noah and the ark and the animals, right? But it's really a a horrible, terrible story that had to end up happening because of how bad the world had gotten. And so God destroys the world, and the world is judged and destroyed. Next event that happens, it's actually in the same first book of the Bible, Genesis, um, in in several chapters just after the Noah and the Ark story, is this is called the Tower of Babel. We have a one-world government. This is where the people all came together and tried to become God. They tried to reach and attain the status of God. Obviously, that's not a good thing. It's a part of sin. And so God confuses their language and everybody scatters over the earth. Right? And then the, fa- the final event that happens in the Old Testament, in fact, this one is in Genesis chapter 12. We're going to spend some time there today. Genesis chapter 12 and throughout the rest of the Old Testament, the entire rest of the Old Testament focuses on this last event, which is the Old Covenant is established between God and people. It's a promise that God makes to Abraham. And we see that it begins there and we have the establishment of the 12 tribes of Israel. All right. Now, at this point, we get to the top, and this is the pinnacle point of the whole one big story. It's the point of the story. It's the reason the story exists. It's the reason that everything hinges on this. And we all know who that is. That's Jesus. Once we get to the end of the Old Testament, there's no Messiah, but then we start the New Testament, and then Jesus arrives. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right in the middle of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, is all about the life and ministry of Jesus. And so everything hinges and turns on Jesus, the the solution of God to save us from sin. And then, this is what's interesting, and this is where Pastor Kevin Myers, his brilliance comes in, because he, he nails this. It's phenomenal. It's why we're using this series, because it's, it's just so, so good. As we turn the corner with Jesus, now we have five more events in the New Testament. They're the same events in the Old Testament, just in reverse order. In other words, they perfectly mirror and parallel all the events in the Old Testament. Same is true in the New Testament. So, let's walk through this. The first event is the new covenant is established. This is where God makes a new promise to all people through Jesus. Basically, the promise is very simple. Sin is a problem. Therefore, I'm going to create the solution. Jesus is going to die for your sins. Somebody has to die. Therefore, God says, I will die in your place. And if you, all you have to do is believe in me. All you have to do is accept Jesus. And so there's this solution, this new covenant, this new contract is established between God and people. He says, if you accept Jesus, I will give you salvation. You will have forgiveness from your sin, and we can be in right relationship again. You can be redeemed. So that's the first one in the New Testament. The second event in the New Testament is a one-world government again. Now, understand that this event has not happened yet. These last four events in the New Testament... They are yet to come. We have not experienced them yet. But the Bible is very clear that there will be in the future, 
sometime. We don't know when. Sometime in the future, there is going to be a one-world government. We are going to be ruled, the planet, by a one-world government. Now, some of us are sitting here thinking that's a little bit crazy, but some of us, we thought that was crazy a few generations ago. But now, what have we seen? We have made the world a lot smaller place. We can get literally anywhere in the world in a few, in a few hours. We can have news from something that happens on the other side of our planet in the matter of a few seconds because somebody is live streaming it from their phone. So I can know what's happening in China or the Philippines or Hawaii or, you know, wherever else. In a matter of moments, we've made the world small. What seemed crazy, a one-world government a few generations ago? Very possible now. Very possible. And the Bible says it's going to happen. Now, before we go on, and Pastor Chris did a great job of understand, helping us understand this, you know when you go to the mall or, or like, you know, a Disney theme park or something like that, and you're trying to figure out where you are and where to go, and you look at the map, what's the first thing you see on the map? It says, you are here right? You need to know where you are in order to know where you need to go, right? And so you are here. In history, that's where we are. That's important to know. We're past all the Old Testament stuff. Jesus has already arrived. The new covenant's been established. All you have to do is accept Jesus to have forgiveness of sins, but that's where we're at. That's been that way for 2,000 years, by the way. We're in this 2,000-year gap. It could be 4,000. It could be 6,000 years. Nobody knows. If, by the way, just so that we're clear, as your pastor, let me tell you, if anybody claims to know when the one girl world government and Jesus is coming back, if anybody claims to know that, they give you a date and they give you a time, you can immediately know that they are a liar. You can call them that and say, you're a liar. You know how I know that? Because the Bible is very clear. Jesus is very clear. No one knows. No one knows the time or the hour when all this is going to happen. Nobody knows. So if anybody claims to know, you already know they're lying because they're contradicting God's word. But all of this is yet to come. And so we have the one world government at some point in our future. What are the last three? Well, the last three are, again, they're parallel with the New Testament or the Old Testament. World is going to be judged and destroyed again. The first time God destroyed the world by flood, this time Revelation tells us it's going to be by fire. Okay, that's what's going to happen. However that's going to happen, we don't know, but it's going to be by fire. The fourth thing that's going to happen is Satan and sin exit. Yes! Let me tell you, that's going to be a good day. We should be excited about that day. Because can I tell you that literally every single problem that you've ever had in your life is because of Satan and sin. And the Bible's very clear that God is going to kick Satan and sin to the curb. Literally, you know what it actually says? Literally, it says they will be cast into hell. That's what the Bible tells us. I'm just quoting scripture here. It says God will kick them into hell where they have to stay for eternity. That's going to be a good day for us because every bad thing comes from Satan and sin. And so they're going to exit. And then the final event is that we have this existence of God and redeemed people. We're not righteous. We're righteous and redeemed because of Jesus. Redeemed people in paradise. Now, like I said, that was kind of like a fire hose, right? I flew through that a lot faster than Pastor Chris did last week because this was the second time around, right? So that was review. We'll do that again and again probably throughout this series. Now, the truth is that we cannot fully understand anything about Jesus unless we understand the one big story. We cannot fully understand what God is doing with Jesus unless we understand the entirety of this one big story. Let me try to make that point. So let's go back to the fifth event in the Old Testament where the Old Covenant is established. The Old Covenant is a promise. It's a promise that God gives to Abram or who we know as Abraham. 
And God makes this promise to Abraham. And I want to go back to Genesis chapter 12. If you like to follow along on your phone or your own Bible, whatever, then go ahead and go to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be there. Okay. And I want to start in the moment where God first makes some big time promises to Abraham. All right. Genesis chapter 12, God is going to make some big time promises to Abraham and therefore to a lot of other people, but he makes this specifically to him. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, who is also Abraham, Go from your country, leave your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So what's the first promise? I'm going to give you a land. This is very interesting, but did you know that the nation of Israel is on the very land that God gave and promised to Abraham thousands of years ago? Still exists promise is still there. Then he makes another promise. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. That's going to become the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel out of his family line. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And then this is the third promise and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Big time promises, right? God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you this great land, and I'm going to bless all people through your family. Now, what is he talking about with that third one? I'm going to bless all people. Is that like you walk into the room and say, I am God's gift to you, right? You're welcome. That's not exactly what God was talking about. What he's talking about is through Adam or through Abraham's family line, we're going to get the Messiah. Fast forward thousands of years after this promise is given, and we have Jesus who comes out of Abraham's family line. So when God says, I'm going to bless all people through you, that's what he was talking about. He was talking about Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting. If we go back to that one big story graphic, okay, if we go back to that, This is what's really interesting. This is really cool how God has put all this together. The Old Covenant establishes and begins the process of creating Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel. Then, through the offspring of Abraham, the 12 tribes of Israel, we have Jesus. Which establishes the New Covenant And what is one of the first things when Jesus begins his ministry, not when he was born, but when he begins his ministry, what was one of the first things that Jesus did? He gathered how many people to follow him? Twelve disciples. Do you see how these things parallel? We have the 12 tribes of Israel that are established with the Old Covenant. Now the New Covenant is established, and Jesus, the very first thing that he does in his ministry is he gathers 12 people to follow him, his 12 disciples. And then what do the 12 disciples do after Jesus dies on the cross and rose from the grave? The 12 disciples carry the message, the good news of Jesus, to literally every person that they can find, and it becomes thousands, and then hundreds of thousands, and then millions. And to this day, right now, where we sit, Billions of people have either accepted Jesus or heard the message of Jesus. In other words, we are the living example of God's promise to Abraham. Through you, Abraham, I will bless all people. That includes you and I. Isn't that cool? All the way thousands of years ago, God made this promise, and here we are seeing that still happening. It's one big story. Now, I want to turn the corner here a little bit because you're like, okay, this is great. I'm glad you love history, Brent. That's fantastic. I'm done. (laughs) I can see it on some faces. You're like, fantastic. So what? Right? You're wondering that. And that is an important question. You should, just so that we're clear, I'm, I'm serious about this. You should, anything you hear, especially at church, but anything you hear, you should always ask the question, so what? Why does this matter? Why does it matter to you? Why does it matter to me? Why should it matter to any of us? This one big story. Well, I want to answer that here today by focusing on the story of Abraham, a piece of the one big story. 
So let me ask you this question. What is the one major thing that Abraham wanted that you and me and every other person on the planet wants? What was the one major thing that Abraham wanted that we all want? Every person. You know what the answer to that is? He wanted a blessed life. Every one of us are chasing after a blessed life. Partly I know this because I've never had anybody come up to me and say, Pastor Brent, I am really going after a cursed life. I've never had one. I've always wanted a cursed life. I've always wanted more problems than I have, and I've never experienced that. And so I am chasing after a cursed life. And I'm really hoping I get it. I've never heard anybody say that. You know why? Because nobody ever wants it. Now, would we all have a different definition of what a blessed life is? Yes. We all may be chasing slightly different things. In fact, some of us may be even chasing the wrong kind of life that we think will give us blessing. But the truth is we're all chasing a blessed life. We all want one. So did Abraham. And so the question I want to answer today is, how do we get it? How do we experience, how do we find, how do we capture a blessed life? One that only God can give. Well, I want to give you two things from Abraham's story today that illustrate how he received a blessed life and how you and I can receive a blessed life from God. The first one, in fact, both of these, neither one of these are going to be surprising. You're going to be like, whoa, no, you're not. But they're going to be so simple and so clear, but they're so important because here's the thing. What, you know what I'm learning as I get older and older and older and lose more and more of my hair? Getting older and losing more of my hair, it just goes together. You know what I'm learning? The simplest things are the hardest things. I'm going to give you the two simplest, easiest to understand things, but they're the hardest things to do. But if you don't do them, you cannot. It's impossible to experience a blessed life. Let me give you the first one. The first one is you have to follow God. That's simple, right? Again, I told you it wasn't going to be mind-blowing. You're like, no. Wow. Where did you find that? Where did you come up with that? No way. I have to follow God? You have to follow God first, foremost, and only. It doesn't help. It doesn't work to follow anyone or anything else. So let's go back to Abraham's story to illustrate how we need to follow God, right? So go back to Abraham's story. What were the promises that God gave to Abraham? I'm going to give you a great land. I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to bless all people through a Messiah that's going to come from your family line. Through you, I'm going to bless all people, right? Those are the three big promises that God gives. But here's the key to that. Do you remember when I read... Genesis chapter 12, just a few moments ago, do you remember what God said first, before he gave the promises? Ah, this is where as humans we get tripped up. Sometimes we forget the conditions of the promise. Do you remember how God started before he gave those amazing promises to Abraham? I'm going to give you land, the nation of Israel, I'm going to make you a great nation, 12 tribes all coming from your family. Woo! And all people on earth, Abraham, your name is going to be great. It's going to be known for thousands of years. You're going to, you're going to be amazing. All people are going to be blessed with you. But do we catch what God told them to do first? Do you remember what God said? God said to Abraham, I need you to leave your people. I need you to leave your country. I need you to leave your father's household. I need you to go. I need you to go somewhere else. I need you to leave everything you know, everything that's comfortable for you. I need you to leave all of that. I need you to walk away. That's the first thing that God said, right? And I love this. You know what it says the very next verse, verse 4? Catch what it says. 
right after the promises and God tells Abraham to do this, this is what it says. Genesis 12, verse 4, first several words. So Abram, or Abraham, went as the Lord had told him. Simple. Abraham packed up all of his belongings and he left. Now, th this is... I've been off my notes already today. It's been a while <laughs> since I've been up here, right? But let me just say this. We can easily read this and go, wow, he just left. That's so great. But we don't think about what that means. Do you think Abram took some flack from his family? They're like, God told you to do what? You're just leaving and he didn't tell you where to go? Yep, he just said, throw the stuff in the moving truck and start driving. And I'll show you, I'll tell you when to stop. What? How many of you, if your children come to you and say, hey, God told me to just load everything in a van and I'm going to start driving and he's going to tell me when to stop. How many of you are like, man, that is so awesome. I love you. I'll call me when you get there. I doubt it. As parents, I know. Because I, I see my kids doing anything slightly dumb. And I'm like, um, that's a no. We need to curtail this right now. Because I see where this leads. And it's not going to go well for you or for me. Right? Abram just leaves. And we have to understand that that was not an easy thing for him to do. But it does illustrate a very important point for us. If we are going to follow God, it will require us to leave, to walk away from some things and even some people. That's important. A lot of people want to follow God, but they're not willing to leave the things they need to leave behind to do it. In order to follow God, you have to leave some things behind, including sin. There are some habits. There are some desires. There are some traditions that have to be left behind. There are some thought patterns. Laura talked about some ruts already this morning. Hey, we got a little mini-sermon this morning. Did you notice that? It's flowing strong for my family today. In order to run to God, you have to run from sin. You have to run from sin in order to run to God. In fact, following God means that we leave things that are not godly. Does that make sense? If we're going to follow God, if we're going to be in the presence of holy God, God cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, if we are infiltrating our life with sin, God can't be with us because he can't be with sin. Now, that's the whole joy of Jesus. Jesus takes that sin away, but we have to accept that, but we have to continue to follow God. And set aside the ungodly things. Now, let me give you the blunt version of this from Scripture. Okay? Sometimes you guys feel like I'm being a little bit too strong. Uh, let me read Scripture, and then you know what strong is. This is from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 19 through 25, just so that you have the reference there. My guess is nobody in here has this hanging on your wall. <laughs> because it is in, this is like in your face, Right? The Apostle Paul writing about following God versus following sin. Hey, listen to what he says. The Apostle Paul writes, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, when you chase after sin, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division. By the way, have, anybody, have you guys seen any of that the last couple of years? Hmm, yeah. And it continues. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And then he gets really, really blunt. Listen to what he says. He says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life, chasing sin, will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is something our world needs to hear a little bit more of. 
following God is not just, God loves me so I can do what I do and try to do the best I can. Do the best you can, absolutely. But following God also requires you to leave that stuff alone. You have to walk away. And then the Apostle Paul, I'm glad that the Apostle Paul doesn't leave it there because if he just left it there, we're kind of going, man, that was harsh. The Apostle Paul explains why we need to run from those things. It's because we want a different list. If we follow God, what does it happen? But the Holy Spirit, if you follow the Holy Spirit, if you follow God, produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. How many of you want love? Yeah, I know you do. Blessed life. Joy. Yep. Peace. Absolutely. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And self-control. By the way, just asking, which list would you like to dominate your life? Which list does dominate your life? Following God requires walking away from some things. It just does. And so I want to pause for just a moment. I know that everybody in the room wants me to move on, but I'm not going to just yet. Because we don't like to deal with this part of it. Following God requires us to walk away from some things. So let me ask you the question, and yes, I'm going to pause for a moment. What do you need to walk away from? What in your life is dragging you back to that first list, which is keeping you from the second list, the fruit of the Spirit? What do you need to walk away from? In fact, let me ask you this. Do you have the courage? Do you have the courage to walk away from things that you've been involved in for years, maybe even decades? You're, you know you're going to be judged by your friends for it. You know you're going to be called out for it. You know they're going to call you, oh, what are you, better than me? Are you better than us now because you're not going to do this with us anymore? You know you're going to be called out for it. I know I have been. Do you have the courage to walk away from the things that you know you need to leave behind in order to follow God? So the first one is we need to follow God. Abraham demonstrates this. But then the second one is also just as easy and just as hard to do. The second thing, if we want a blessed life, we need to follow God, but then we also need to wait on God. Yay! How many of you love waiting? How many of you just love waiting? Nobody's with me? No, I'm not with you either, right? I hate waiting. Now, I talked about this, right, a few weeks ago in our Christmas series, didn't I? Talked about waiting on God. But the truth is that Abraham and Sarah, his wife, had to wait a long time on God. So what was the promise of God? Remember, God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. You know what that means? Uh, you're going to have a huge family. You know what that requires, though? Children. You know how many children Abraham and Sarah had when they got really, really, really up in years, up in age? Zero. No kids. None. Zero. And Abraham and Sarah, I'll just say, they got tired of waiting. You ever get tired of waiting? Oh, man, I get tired of waiting. I, I've, I've joked. I, I, I thought I was patient until I had children, and then I realized, man, I'm not patient. <laughs> I just hadn't had struggles yet or something. I don't know. Right? We have to wait on God. Abraham and Sarah, they got tired of waiting on God. I want to prove this. Fast forward three chapters past the promises of God. This is a long time after God made the promises. In fact, I think probably by math, maybe 20, 25 years later, Abraham and Sarah are like, we're going to make you a great nation. They still haven't had any kids. Not a single one. And Abraham and Sarah, they are getting impatient. I know this because of what Abram says to God. Let me read it for you. Genesis chapter 15, starting with verse 2. But Abram, Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, he gets really blunt with God here, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? That's being really blunt with God. God, what good are your blessings if you don't make good on them? That's what Abram's saying. 
That's what Abraham is saying. What, what good is it? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own. So one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir. For you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. In other words, God says, my promise is still good. You just have to wait a little longer. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. God doubles down on his promise. In other words, he tells Abraham, keep waiting. My promise is still good. But can I just throw another truth out there? Can we be honest for a minute? The pressures of this world and the pressures of sin in this world, that pressure pushes us to try to grab our own promises before God gives them. Anybody else in the room, like me, where you try to make your promises happen? I'm just telling you, I'm guilty of this all the time. If, if I want my children to be good at a certain sport or something like that, my wife knows. She can tell you this is true. I'm like, man, we need to sign them up for this. We need to get them into that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do everything I can to make sure they're good at that. I'm trying to create a promise that I think needs to come to fruition now. I have a control problem sometimes. Anybody else with me have a control problem in your life? Man, I do. And what God says is the pressures of sin and the pressures of this world are going to create a major problem for you if you give in to it. Let me try to illustrate this. So uh, I've told this story once before here at Northridge, but it bears repeating at this moment. Uh, so a few years ago, uh, the valve that controls the on and off for our shower and the, the valve that on the end of it had the valve for the hot and cold water and all that stuff, that whole mechanism that was attached to the fiberglass in our shower uh, started to come loose, okay? And so uh, at, you guys know how mechanical I am. Man, I roll in that world really well. No, I don't. I'm terrible, all right? I, I, I hate mechanical stuff. I hate plumbing stuff. I hate all things that have to be fixed, right? I, I kind of work with people because I'm like, people make sense to me. Uh, things like that don't. And so, but I go up there because, you know, I need to, I need to, you know, watch out for the family. And so I go up there to check and see how bad this loose valve has gotten. And so I go up there and I'm just, uh, my whole thing is I just want to, you know, I jiggle it a little bit, see how loose it is and all kind of stuff. And so I go up there and, and I jiggle that, that handle, that valve, and it must have been really loose. Like the, the pipe had disintegrated pretty much completely because I just kind of moved that thing gentle, gently just a, just a little bit. I, I wasn't even unscrewing it or anything. I just, just went to see how much it moved. And the thing immediately, the water pressure from behind it, broke off from the pipe. The thing flies across the, the, the tub, lands and hits the tub hard. Now all of a sudden, because there's no valve to control it, there is scalding hot water blowing out everywhere. It is just like up, down, sideways, everywhere. It is soaking the drywall up on top. It is soaking the floor. It is spraying everywhere. And again, it is scalding hot water. Like if it's hitting my skin for more than a couple of seconds, I'm burned, right? And so I immediately, I'm like, ah! you know? And so I grab the shower curtain. I, I sling it closed, make sure it's inside the tub, you know, and I'm just holding that thing. And, and I kid you not, the shower curtain is like <laughs> hitting me in the face. And I'm like, ah! And so I do the only thing I can do. I yell at my wife, right? <laughs> Laura! And she's like, uh-oh, that sounded probably like it's intense. And she run, comes running up the stairs. She's a good wife. <laughs> I'm married up, right? And she runs upstairs. I'm like, go downstairs and turn off the main water shutoff valve to the house, right? So that this stops, and then I can kind of take a look at it. We can kind of assess the situation. So I, but I didn't say that. I'm just like, go down and turn off the water, the main shutoff valve. It's downstairs. And I'm like, okay. And she, she runs downstairs. What felt like to me more like half an hour... 
oh, right? And she's, I don't know, she, I don't know, she must have just tramped downstairs, you know, whatever. No, whatever. No, but she's going down, she runs downstairs, she's looking for the valve, she doesn't know where the valve is, right? And so she turns off a valve, the valve that she finds downstairs in our storage room, as we call it, and she turns that off. Nope, wasn't the water valve. So she runs back home. I'm like, did you get it? She said, I turned something off. I was like, it wasn't the right one. <laughs> we have some very fun moments in our, in our marriage. I can just tell you. I can tell a lot of stories. And so I'm like, okay, grab the shower curtain. She's like, okay. You know, and I'm like, okay. I'm running downstairs. And I turn the water valve off, shut the water off. And I go back upstairs. Okay, yes, we're good. And she's standing there. And there's water everywhere. We don't have enough towels for what has just happened. I mean, it is, it is a mess. So two things happened at that point. I called a plumber. <laughs> I'm like, I am way over my head in more ways than one. And I made sure that my wife from then on knew where the water shutoff valve was for the house, just in case something like this would happen again. <laughs> By the way, this has no bearing on what I'm, the point I'm trying to make, but uh, the next day we had cold showers because you know what she had actually shut off? She had shut off the gas to the water heater. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't think, it took me a little bit. I'm like, why, is, why do we have cold showers? And then I was like, the valve. She turned another valve off. I had forgotten about it, right, after all the trauma of the day. And so I went down there, got the gas back on, got the pilot light, like, okay, we're good. And we had hot showers the next day. All that to say that when we give in to pressure, it creates a mess. If you give in to the pressure of this world and the pressure of sin in this world that says you, you deserve the promises and we, we package it in, you're worth it. You're worth it. You get your promises now. You're worth it. You get yours. You climb the corporate ladder. That is, you are worthy of it. And we package it in this self-righteous thing like you can be anything you want. We say those kind of things. True, true, that's great, but that doesn't mean you grab whatever promises you think you should have and you should want because you might be grabbing the wrong promise and it's not the promise that God has for you which is going to be way better than the promise you think you want. If we give in to pressures of this world and this sin and the life, it'll create a mess. In fact, let me just say this. When we focus on the problems and the pressures of this world and sin, the promises of God tend to fade. If you're focusing on the problems of this world and the problem of sin, if you're focusing on that, if you're tuned into that, then the promises of God are going to diminish. But thankfully, the reverse is true. If you start focusing on the promises of God, guess what happened to the problems and pressures of this life? They tend to fade. That's the direction we need to go. But it all requires following and waiting, waiting on God to deliver his promises. He wants to give you a double portion of his blessing, but you have to wait. Let me end with one final illustration. So do you guys remember the marshmallow test that Stanford University did like decades ago? So the, the test is really, really simple. It's been replicated like probably hundreds of times by all kinds of organizations. But the marshmallow test is very simple. You take a child and you place a child in a room by themselves, by himself or herself, and you place one large marshmallow in front of them, okay? By the way, this probably could work for adults too, but I'm just saying kids are more fun to watch, right? And so you place a marshmallow in front of them, and basically the premise is simple. If they can wait a few minutes alone in a room with the marshmallow, nobody else in there, just them and the marshmallow, if they can wait a few minutes and not eat the marshmallow, then when the person comes back into the room, they're going to give them a second marshmallow. They get to eat two. That's a good deal, right? But the key is they have to wait with the marshmallow and them in the room by themselves. Nobody else there. In fact, a church did a video on this and kind of illustrated this point with the marshmallow test. It's pretty cool. Let's take a look. 
Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. Uh, it smells really So it's up to you. You can have it now or you can wait. Okay? I'll be back. Stay in the chair, okay? Okay. So I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you I'd give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I love that. Here's the thing, though. Really funny to watch. Seriously, if you put adults in the room, it wouldn't have been as funny. Kids were hilarious. But could you see the pressure of temptation? That was pretty obvious, wasn't it? And let me just be really clear. When it's a marshmallow, it's fun. When it's an adult, licking on sin, it's not so cute or funny, is it? We cannot allow ourselves to give in to the pressure of temptation, whether it's a marshmallow or something far more serious. So the question I want to leave you with this morning is a very simple one. Are you living a one marshmallow life or a two marshmallow life? Do you have a one marshmallow faith or a two marshmallow faith? Are you willing to follow God, which means walking away and waiting on God because he wants to deliver some of the best promises that you've maybe never even thought of? Are you willing to follow and wait so you can experience the blessed life? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, 
I don't know exactly where everybody is in the room or listening online uh, today. But there might, might be a few different groups of people. Maybe there's maybe there are some people in here who they're, they're feeling like they're faithfully following God. They're following you. They're waiting on you. They trust your promises. They're focusing on your promises. And so the pressures and the problems of this life are, are a distant, distant way back behind them. They're just not... They're not worried about that because they're focusing on your promises. And so I celebrate that. If there are people in here that are doing that, that is amazing. We're we're grateful for that. Maybe there's another group of people in here that maybe they have given in. Maybe there's some people in here who who are listening online who they've given in to the pressures and the problems of this life. They've allowed the pressures of the pandemic or the issues of vaccinations and quarantine, or, or maybe they just have other things going on. Maybe they hate their job. Maybe, they're, maybe their job and their company is going the wrong direction. Maybe it's on the other side of, of a direction that it shouldn't be, and so they're worried about their future. Maybe they're focused on the pressures and the problems in this life, and they've forgotten. They've kind of let your promises slide. They've let them slip. They've let them fade back into the distance. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to them right now and remind them that your promises for them are so good. That you have one big story and that every one of us can be a part of it. If we simply follow and wait on your goodness and follow you. Help us to follow you us to wait on you. And we look forward to the promises that you have for every single one of us. We pray this and we ask this in your name, Jesus.